2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 8. Paul writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I want to go to heaven. You know, I really, really, really want to go to heaven. And yet I don't think enough about heaven. I don't speak enough to people outside the church about heaven. I don't even talk about heaven enough with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I certainly don't teach and preach enough on this wonderful subject. And yet Paul in the third chapter of his Colossian letter began by saying, set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. And from time to time I take personal and mental inventory of all the things that I have thought about that's coursed through my mind during the course of a day. And I realize that so much of it has to do with the here and the now and not of that ultimate goal that God has set before us so majestically and beautifully in God's word. Here Paul in our text is about to die, and he knows that. That's the part about I'm now ready to be poured out as a drink offering. Some commentators say that the writing of this second letter to Timothy predated his death by only a matter of weeks. So Paul knows that the clock is ticking on his life that he's about to die. And yet in his parting words, I think it's so wonderful that what he says is appropriately enough about that ultimate destination, about heaven. And yet while he, as a man, doesn't want to die, his fear of death is far outweighed by his earnest desire to go to heaven that place that he has so diligently worked for. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Romans, or Revelation, rather, very end of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 20. And we want to spend some time on the last two and a half chapters of that uh, wonderful book. And isn't it appropriate also that as we turn to the end of our Bible, the subject matter is heaven. So John is telling us some things about heaven, about about the last days, about what judgment will be like. If you look at verses 11 through 15 of chapter 20, you'll see a discussion of what judgment is going to be like. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But then you turn over a page and you look at Revelation 21. It describes heaven itself. I believe much of the description is spoken in accommodative language. Verse 3 in particular makes me want to go. Where John tells us that we're going to be in the presence of God. Verse 4 of the same chapter, or chapter 22 rather, 
Verse 4 says that we'll behold the very face of God. We'll live in his presence. And then chapter 22, verse 5 says there'll be no night there. There'll be no need for the sun. Because he says the eternal presence of the Lord will light the heavens. All of these things and other passages that talk about and describe the splendor and the grandeur and the wonder of heaven make me want to go. These were the considerations that caused Paul to write in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 21, beginning, For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. Watch this, which is far better. But nevertheless, to remain here in the flesh is more needful for you. Folks, if we as God's people don't really want to go to heaven... If that is not our magnificent obsession, then let me be frank. We need to have either our heads or our hearts examined. We need to make heaven our magnificent obsession. Sadly, there are some in the kingdom of Christ who've lost their passion for Christ. They've lost their their love and, and their view of heaven. Remember right after Paul's expression of his own desire and his confidence of seeing heaven in our text that Tom read a moment ago, you just skip down a very few verses and there's verse 10 where that contains a sobering and tragic indictment. He says, Demas has forsaken us, having loved this present world. There's a perfect example of one who at one time was a faithful New Testament Christian from all scriptural appearances yet he lost his love of heaven. He no longer wanted to go to heaven. He, he loved the things of this world too much. Right and left, we see people fall out of love with heaven and back in love with the world. And the Hebrew writer says in doing so, they, they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Allow me to share briefly with you this morning some reasons why I want to go to heaven. And I hope that you can relate to at least some, if not all of these reasons, And I hope that they will encourage you to stay on the road that leads to heaven. Or maybe if you're outside of Christ this morning, that this will make you determine that this is going to be the day when you began your heavenward journey. Number one, I want to go to heaven because I cannot stay here. Back in the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 15, there Moses writes, for we are aliens. And I think we'll find this principle true in both Testaments. Because it is an eternal principle. We're aliens and pilgrims before you, Moses writes, as we're all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and there is none abiding. This passage and many others like it clearly point out the fact that we're just sojourners on this planet. And we cannot stay here forever. Common sense as well as the good book teaches us that we're not destined to stay on this planet forever. That's not the way we're built. Job understood that. And all the things that he experienced and all the things that he suffered as he was doing that personal inventory of his own life. In Job chapter 14 verse 1, there's this pearl in the quarry of God's word where Job says, man that is born of woman. I like that. That just means everyone who has a woman for a mother. (laughs) That gets us all. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. We're not going to stay here forever, Job realizes. And while he was going through all of that suffering, he realized that that suffering was going to end one way or the other. Either he was going to outlive it or he would die from it. But Job was still good with either way. 
There's an old gospel hymn that we sometimes sing here at university that I love so dearly. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That's talking about heaven. And I hope that when we sing that song, those words will resonate in our hearts and our minds. You know, the basic fallacy of, materi- of the materialistic worldview is thinking that this old world is our permanent home. And trying to make this world as near heaven as we possibly can. And there are a lot of people that are trying to do that. And some tragically even in the kingdom of Christ. Allow me to suggest that according to the Bible, heaven is not heaven because of its material qualities. But because of its spiritual qualities. The Bible says even in our text that there we're going to live in the presence, the divine presence of Jehovah God himself. That ought to be enough to make us want to go. And Paul, in warning against that materialistic worldview, told Timothy, whenever you go out and preach, I want you to warn every person who is desiring worldly goods, who has has a bumper sticker on their car that says, whoever dies with the most toys win, those are the ones I want you to preach to. And remind them that they brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that they will carry nothing out. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7. I remind you that there are no U-Haul trailers pulled behind hearses. A basic rule of life and death is if you did not bring it, you won't take it. And so one question often asked of those of us who are believers is if there is a God and if he is a benevolent God that loves his people, why does he allow trouble and trial and suffering in this world? Now, it is not the purview of this lesson to address that subject at length. But I will say that among the many answers to that question is this one, in light of what we are talking about this morning. I believe that he allows us enough trial and trouble to help us to realize the need for a better place. Because if everything were wonderful and we had no complaints and no no concerns and no trouble in this life, nobody would ever want to leave it. I'm telling you this morning, I would hate to think that there's nothing more to human experience than what we experience in this world. An atheist must admit that what he experiences in this life is the very best he'll ever know. And yet those of us who are believers are convinced with a confidence born of inspiration that what we're experiencing in this world is the very worst we'll ever know. Branches of science that deal in the human area of human physiology bear witness to the reliability of Scripture on this vital point. And the point is this, Paul makes in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. He said, while the outward man is perishing, he's talking about the physical body there, the inward man, the soul, is growing stronger day by day. And even though every one of us realizes that the clock is ticking on our lives, that we're growing older, and if you need to be reminded of that, just look in the mirror in the morning. But Paul said that's still good news because while the outward, the physical man is, is dying, the inner man can be growing stronger day by day. And ain't that good news? We're told that there are some body cells that die never to be replaced or regenerated when we turn 11 years of age. That is, if you're older than 11 this morning in this audience, you're on your way out. Isn't that good news? What a wonderful way to cheer you up. If you're past 11, you're on your way out. That just means what we've already read in our Bibles. That that the time a person is born, he is heading inexorably toward that final appointment of death. 
And the Bible says there are no exceptions. It's appointed unto all men once to die, and after that the judgment, Hebrews 9.27. Observe, our bodies were not intended to be permanent. Our souls were not designed to be temporary. And Paul speaks of the necessity of leaving this world in the context of God's scheme of redemption. And that great resurrection chapter that we know of is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you haven't spent some quality time in 1 Corinthians 15 lately, I would suggest that you do that soon. What a wonderful faith-building chapter that is. And among all the observations that Paul makes, every one of them are rational and spiritual-based. You, you can't help but connect the dots by the time you get through with that chapter. But among those points, in verse 36, he says, You fool, that which you sow is not made alive except it die. In that context, he's talking about what it's like to plant a seed. We understand that if we wanted to keep the seed, we'd never put it in the ground. The seed has to be put into the ground, and in a sense, the seed dies. That is, we'll never know that seed the way it is again. But if we leave it there and it so-called dies, then and only then can it produce a plant that will bring forth fruit a hundredfold. And so he said, if you want to keep the seed, keep it. But when you put it in the ground, it's going to change. And then verse 42, he gives us the application. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. I want to go to heaven because I can't stay here. Secondly, I want to go to heaven because I know there's no true lasting happiness here. Jesus did not come to make this world a material utopia. He came with a plan to get us out of this mess. And he made a way so that you and I can go to heaven and we can live eternally. And in Luke 19 in verse 10, he gives his own mission statement when he said, The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. I came to get you ready for a wonderful place beyond this one. And if you have any spiritual sense about you, you'll realize that this world is not my home. That what we experience here is temporary in nature. Back to that 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, Paul then says in verse 19, if in this life, he's talking on behalf of all Christians now, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we of all men are most miserable. That's not pessimism, that's realism. Paul understands that. We're wasting our time, we're wasting our lives if Christ really wasn't raised from the dead, because if he wasn't raised from the dead, there's no hope that any of us who follow him are going to be raised either. So he's making a point that's very valid. He realized, even Paul realized, that the offerings of this life are not enough to motivate a person to live as a Christian unless there's a better life after this one. You know, John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And every one of us, I believe this morning, who are New Testament Christians know that there is an, an abundant life to be experienced and to be enjoyed in Christ Jesus right here in this life. That's, that's what he was talking about in that text. But we also at certain level understand that the soul's deepest longing for heaven surely must be our strongest incentive. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11, I think it puts it well, where Solomon says he has put eternity in our hearts. If true and lasting happiness could be found in earthly attainments and possessions, then that Solomon would have been the happiest man who ever lived. But if you've ever read the book called Ecclesiastes, translated the preacher, 
then you know that Solomon is either himself or talking about someone who went through the laboratory of life, trying to find meaning and purpose and happiness. And he tells us in that great book that power and possessions and pleasure will not, will not bring you lasting happiness. They may bring you momentary pleasure, but soon the luster will wear off. It will not bring you lasting happiness. And then in his grand conclusion, he says that man's life should be about fearing God and keep his commandments. That's the entirety of man. That's what life is to be about, chapter 12 and verse 13. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's the whole of man, was his grand conclusion. And the Bible teaches us from cover to cover that real happiness comes from within. That it is not a matter of outward circumstances. If everything is right and the sun is shining and, and, and everything is going my way, then and only then can I be happy. No, happiness is an inside job. We need to make the, the choice to rejoice, Psalm 118 verse 24 says. And that's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Things will not bring you lasting happiness. He wanted his disciples then and now to understand that. There's only, there's only sorrow and death and pain in this veil of tears. Even the loved ones who make us happy will soon depart. I've mentioned a number of times from this pulpit but that my grandfather on my mother's side lived to the ripe old age of 99. And I remember him saying that the tough thing about being at the time in his mid-90s was the best thing, rather, was no peer pressure. All of his peers had died. But he said, you know, the, the worst thing about it is no peers. And those two things, of course, go together. But in heaven, John says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There'll be no more pain for the former things have have passed away. Revelation 21.4. Mark this down. I want to go to heaven because I know there's no real lasting happiness here. Third, because of the reality of a place called hell, I want to go to heaven. Look at how many times God mentioned the reality of hell in scripture. A place of eternal punishment for those who are disobedient. And we need to admit that God did warn us about that place. If you got your Bible still open to Revelation chapter 20, look at Verses 12 through 15. Actually, I'm going to back up and start with verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was, no fa- there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, as he's beginning to envision judgment day, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in, in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death in Hades, the place for the uh, righteous and unrighteous dead, delivered up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone who was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Maybe this fear of going to hell is not as good a motive as some others. I think that's why John in 2 John 4.18 says, perfect, full-grown love cast out fear. If we spend our whole Christian lives and telling people the only reason I'm a Christian is because I'm afraid I'll go to hell if I don't, this is not the best motive. 
John says there should come a time when love takes over as the primary motivating force in your life, but it is a real motivation nonetheless. And not only did God warn us about hell, but he described it in a way that would all cause us to want to avoid it as avidly as we seek heaven. Listen to this, and I'm just going to run through these very briefly. In Revelation 21.8, it's described as a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Back in the gospel account, Matthew 13, verse 42, he describes it as a furnace of fire. In Matthew 8.12, a place of outer darkness. Matthew 22.13, a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then at the end of the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 46, he talks about it in terms of a place that will never end. In fact, you might note, grammatically speaking, that the same word used to describe the duration of heaven is also used to describe the duration of hell, and that word is everlasting. All that God wants us to understand through these inspired writers and through his Son is that there will be no chances to make our life right if we wind up in that awful place. We'd be banished from the presence of God forever. And in that place, we would give all the gold in Fort Knox for the singing of one more verse of an invitation song. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I want to go to heaven because of the reality of a place called hell. But fourthly, because I'll never see another child. I'll never see another child if I miss it. I think this is a clear teaching of Scripture. There are certain qualities of a child that we need to assume ourselves in order to be good disciples. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, he talked about that at length. And then in the very next chapter, in Matthew 19, in verses 13 and 14, our Lord said, On one occasion, the Bible says, Then little children were brought to them, that he might put his hands on them and pray. But his disciples rebuked them, that is, the parents of the children that were being brought to Jesus. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, watch this, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. To never see the innocent smile, to hear the sweet laughter, or to hold the chubby hand of a little child for all eternity would be more than I could bear. I want to go to heaven because I never, I'll never see another smile if I miss that place. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me so. Here in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, John describes hell like this. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. There's no laughter in that place, only torment. The Bible also teaches that hell is the very antithesis of heaven. While in heaven we'll know no sorrow or pain or heartache, in hell, Jesus said, there will only be weeping and grinding of teeth. Those who know me know I love to laugh. And I really like being around other people who have a good sense of humor and who love to laugh as well. But if I miss heaven, I'll never see another smile, and I'll never hear another laugh for all eternity. And finally, I want to go to heaven because I'll never see another good person if I miss that place. Listen to the scriptures. This time, Revelation 22, 14, and 15. Blessed are those, and I don't know about you, at this point in that text, I'm ready to hear a blessed, aren't you? He's just got through describing hell. But by contrast, blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. But outside, that is those outside that city of heaven, are the dogs and the sorcerers and the fornicators and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. 
The Lord in that passage is describing those who are fit company for the devil. Don't miss that. And note the contrast. Those inside the city, he said, partaking of the tree of life, living forever in the presence of God, are those who in this life kept his commandments. That's practical. But the disobedient and the wicked will not be in that place. Enemies of the cross will not be in that eternal city of heaven. And as much as I enjoy the fellowship of good people, I would hate the thought of missing heaven and never seeing a good, another good person for all eternity. You know, I couldn't bear missing those in the kingdom of God who've come to mean so very much to me. On occasion, me and I will have conversations about remember what it was like when we lived in a certain place. And then we began talking about the people that we came to love there during our, our work and our ministry in that particular location. And how that we can look back over 40 years and look at those congregations and some of the people that we grew close to. Some of them have gone on to their reward. But people who had a tremendously positive impact on our lives and how wonderful that is. I could not bear the thoughts of not seeing those good people for all eternity because I missed heaven. I couldn't bear the thought of seeing those in my own family who've lived faithfully to the Lord, who've gone to heaven and who are awaiting our arrival. And I'll just bet if we went around the room today, whether you're young or old, you've got somebody in mind that meant a great deal to you, that was precious to you, who've gone on into eternity, who you're thinking about right now. You, you know their face and you know their name. And you know why they were precious to you and how that they're just inside the gate awaiting your arrival. I can't wait to see Pop. I want to play checkers with Grandpa Medlin one more time. One of the things that I appreciated a great deal about Todd's class here on Wednesday night on the subject of last things was the way it ended. He had about 10 or 15 minutes when he had finished his material and he asked if there were any comments that anyone wanted to make about anything that had been discussed for the last quarter. And I don't know that it was designed this way, but people began talking about and reading passages about heaven and explaining why this is my favorite passage. And I left uplifted because of the subject matter, but also hearing those personal perspectives from people who are faithful New Testament Christians and who are saying, I want to go to heaven because. And all of them were wonderful reasons, wonderfully good reasons, and all of the passages that we can read on Scripture. You know, and as I've gotten older, those people that are on the other side of that old muddy Jordan waiting for our arrival has grown exponentially greater. I remind you again that the Lord said that in that other place is a place where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. That's Mark 9, 43 and 44 if you want the Bible for it. And he tells us that there is no respite, there is no parole from that place. If we wind up in hell, we'll be there forever as well. There are no work release programs. There are no visitation rights to the other side. We, we learn that from reading Luke chapter 16. I beg you this day, please do not neglect 
procrastinate or rationalize your life away and wind up in that awful place called hell. But as we've seen at length this morning, there is a much more pleasing option. And I want to leave these three verses, actually two verses, in your mind and in your heart. Again, Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God Are you hearing me now? God himself will be with them and be their God. John wants us to know that we're not going to be sitting in Bible classes forevermore talking about God. We're going to be with God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain. Why is that, John? Because the former things that characterize this life will have passed away. I want to go to heaven because I can't stay here. I want to go to heaven because there's no real lasting happiness here. Because of the reality of a place called hell and because I'll never see another child or another smile or another good person if I miss that place. When the time of my departure is hand, I want to be able to say with Paul, as he said in our text, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me in that day and not to me only but to all them also that love his appearing. I really want to go to heaven and I'll tell you, I want more than anything in this world for you to go to. The real question is, do you want to go? Time is running out. We're closer to eternity than we've ever been. And there are people in this audience this morning that needs to make the decision, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to give him my heart and my life. I believe in him with all my heart. I'm going to confess his name as the Son of God. And I want to be baptized based upon my faith and repentance that I might leave this place as a child of God, heaven bound, this morning. But you don't have forever. The clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to tell just when the hands will stop at late or early hour. To lose one's wealth is sad indeed. To lose one's health is more. To lose one's soul is such a loss that no man can restore. No, the present only is our own. So love, live, and toil with a will. Place no faith in tomorrow, for the hands may then be still. Won't you come right now while we stand and while we sing?